So we are in 1 Peter 5, the last three verses. 1 Peter 5, 12 to 14. And I'm going to read out of my New American Standard Bible today because um, I think it puts across much more clear what, um, what the text is saying. So you can follow along in your Bible, and I will read. Through Silvanus, and it's another name for Silas, you're familiar with Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? This is Silvanus, Silas. Through Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Amen. You can sit down. Okay, I'd ask you to kind of follow along because I'm going to kind of just almost talk through this, this text almost like uh, as it's written, it's kind of logical and uh, just kind of talk through it, teach through it, kind of like a Bible study. <clears throat> the first question I want to ask this morning, um, and it really goes along with uh, a lot of the testimonies that, that were shared and probably a lot of the thoughts that are going on inside of some of you, because all of us in all different ways are filled with all kinds of struggles, right? Anxieties, difficulties, challenges. If you were in Israel today, uh, which you're not because you're here, and you were to greet one another, I gave this lesson uh, on Thursday to, th to three guys, uh, as opposed to the United States where we, we walk up and what do we say? How are you or hi? In Israel, you would say, how is your peace? Literally. Ma shalom ka. Ma shalom ka. Okay? We could do a chant like Daniel did earlier, but even though this one is obviously much more important. <laughs> Ma shalom ka. So most of you are familiar with the word shalom. That's peace. Ma, how, is the peace of you, literally it says. And if you were to give the correct answer, kind of like, how are you? Fine, right? In Israel, you would say, Shlomi Tov Toda. Shlomi Tov Toda. Literally, it means, My peace is good. Thank you. Um, if you want a, a refresher afterwards, you'll have to pay for it. <laughs> so, I want you to think about that question this morning. How is your peace? That's, that's the heart of what we're going to talk about. Notice it's the last words 
of the letter that Peter writes. Peace be to all who are in Christ. That's how he ends it. And it's, it's, it's important because if you remember, he's not writing to some, to some believers that are laying on a beach in Cancun or in Honolulu. He's writing to some believers who are scattered abroad. They're called aliens, strangers, because of persecution. They're living under Nero, the most diabolical Roman emperor, used Christians to light his garden, lit them on fire, lit his garden at night. He's writing to believers who are going, if you notice in, in chapter 4, verse 12, he calls it a fiery ordeal, what they're going through. So he's writing to some individuals who are going through, we could call it in modern lingo, hell on earth. They're facing opposition from the government. They're fa facing opposition at their workplaces. They're facing opposition in their homes. And so he's writing to them, and that's why he concludes. He's writing to these believers who are going through unimaginable opposition, misunderstanding, slander. And the point of it is their peace. Their peace, their shalom. That's why he ends. He says, peace be to all who are in Christ. That's, that's the point that he wanted them to get from this letter. He wants, in the midst of what they're going through, for them to be experiencing shalom. Now the word shalom is, is an all-encompassing word. It's not the way that we often cheapen the word today. Um, so often today, peace means... Um, a temporary end of hostilities, just temporarily, detente or compromise, or putting up with somebody or just getting by. Not, not real peace, not real shalom. Shalom that Peter is talking about here and the peace that's talked about, like in Philippians 4 where it says, it's a peace that surpasses all comprehension that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace, the shalom that Peter's talking about. How is your peace? Now see, ultimate peace, ultimate shalom, I mean, it's talked about all throughout the Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, the prince of peace, who someday peace will reign from, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. That's the peace, the shalom that we're all looking forward to in eternity, in the new heavens and new earth. That's where shalom is going to reign in every way, internally and externally. But how is your peace in the midst, like these believers here, how is your peace in the midst of what you're going through? Not if you could get rid of it all, but in the midst of it, and that's who Peter's writing to, shalom. It's, the idea of this shalom is a complete sense of well-being, of security, of, of prosperity, of safety, of happiness. Shalom. Meaning in the midst of wherever you are, whatever you're going through, it's okay. You're content. You're secure. You're happy. Shalom. Well, that's the point of the letter. 
And that's how he ends it. Peace be to all you who are in Christ Jesus. Ma shalom ka. This morning, how is your peace? It's easy for us to... Um, well, Jeremiah 6.14, let me read it. Where God speaks of the religious leaders of Judah, he says, They have healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. That might be where some of you are this morning. Just, just there isn't really peace, but, but people are saying, Well, just do this, just try that, just, you know, and, and to where we never really experience shalom because we're just getting by, we're just getting through. And, and so God says of the religious leaders of Judah, they're saying peace, peace, but there isn't any peace. Why isn't there peace? Well, in, um, in James chapter 4, James writes, he said, um, and my mind just went blank, James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Where is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war among your members? Again, back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 48, 2, God says very simply, There is no peace for the wicked. For those who are alienated from God. And, and what he, to, to put it in simple words, he says, There is no peace for someone who is at odds with the God of the universe. And you know, we see this immediately. If you think way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have creation. Genesis chapter 3, we come to Adam and Eve in the garden. And I want you to think about that. What, what was the Garden of Eden? It was shalom. Epitomized. That's what the Garden of Eden was. Everything was Wonderful. Inside of them and outside of them, surrounding them, there was, there was shalom. It was complete and total oneness and harmony and security and happiness. That's what the Garden of Eden was. Between Adam and Eve and between Adam and Eve and the animals and the angels and God and, and the creation, absolute shalom. But then what happened? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, immediately, immediately what happened was the, the evaporation, the, the, the end of shalom. Immediately. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do? If you, re, you can read back yourselves. The first thing they do when they disobey God is they hide from God. They're afraid of God. They're ashamed and then what do they do? They start blaming one another. And conflict begins to happen and, and, and disharmony begins to happen and, and hostility begins to happen and, and there's no more shalom. So what will bring peace? That's, that's going to be kind of the heart of what we talk about this morning. What will bring, bring peace True peace, true shalom in your heart. Like, like Paul says in Philippians 4, a peace that 
passes comprehension that will guard your heart and your mind, your feeling and your thinking. Shalom. What will bring that true peace? Okay, this is where we're going to work through these few verses here. Look back with me at verse 12, okay? What will bring true peace? Look at it. It says, Through Silas, or Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. One of the things that is great about the ending of all these letters is it shows, and again, it's kind of what a couple of you were sharing during the, the sharing time, is how important the body is, the family is. And, and we see it at the end of all of these letters. We, we see the love and, and the value and the, and, the, and the care for one another. And just the way they talk about each other. Peter says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. He didn't need to say that. He really loves this guy. And, and he wasn't really even his partner. He was Paul's partner. He says, I have written to you briefly, and that's what the book of First Peter is. It's this letter. Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And I think that's the answer to our question. And what he's wrapping up in these, these few, these, just these three verses. If you want this shalom, the answer is, and it's what he wrote about in this whole letter to these persecuted believers. It's what he wants them to get. If you want shalom, then you've got to understand grace. Grace. He says, it's what I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Standing firm in grace, meaning our lives, our thinking, our, our feeling, who we are, rooted and founded upon the grace of God. Understanding and experiencing and living solidly in the grace of God. So the question is, what's this grace, right? We're just going to work our way through. He says, this is the true grace of God. And Now, if you're a good Bible student, you'd be saying, what is that? That was a little hint. You should be asking yourselves questions constantly. Why did it say that? What is the true grace of God? How do we have peace? What does this mean? So he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And you should be saying, well, what is the true grace of God? And I think what he does in summarizing the whole book is he slips it in. It's in the next verse. Verse 13. And some of you are probably wondering, why in the world did he say that? It's kind of weird. She who is in Babylon, who's that? It's the church in Rome. That Peter is cryptically referring to, because remember who's the emperor at this time? Nero. And Peter's not afraid to die, and he will eventually end up dying for his love for Jesus. But he's not running to die. And so cryptically, he refers to where he is. He's in Rome, and he's referring to where he is, the church in Babylon. So he refers to it in kind of a coded sense. So the church in Rome, chosen together with you. 
sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. It's interesting, my son Mark, John Mark, who Barnabas invited along in the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, remember? He bailed out. He was a wump, a, w- a wuss. Bailed out. Paul said, no way, I'm not taking him along. The second missionary journey, so Paul and Barnabas split. Barnabas took John, Mark. <coughs> At the end of Paul's life, Paul says, Mark is valuable to me for the ministry because of the ministry that Barnabas poured into him. And, and here also, Peter, towards the end of his ministry, is commending Mark as his son. Again, just an amazing, beautiful illustration of the body working together. Paul and Barnabas and Peter all working together to cultivate this young man, John Mark, working together to build up the body. But this is the point. What is this grace? The church in Rome, chosen together with the church in exile. That's who Peter is writing to, a church in exile. Persecuted believers scattered all throughout Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, what it says in verse 1. So what is the true grace of God? It's that we're chosen, understanding that. It's understanding our identity, our special identity. I think that's what what Peter is saying here. I think he slips it in just kind of saying, do you get it? This is the true grace of God, that you're chosen. And if you get, and I want, I want you all to get this, if, if we all this morning who are in Christ get this, then we will experience shalom. We'll experience shalom. Now, the interesting thing about this is, this is exactly how Peter started his letter. Now, that, that, was a, that was a few months ago, so you probably don't remember that. But I want you to turn back to the first two verses of First Peter. And it's interesting because what Peter does is he begins his letter and ends his letter with the same truths of what he has filled his letter with. And I'm just going to summarize it again because it's so important. And, and we just don't get it because that if we understood our true identity in Christ, who we are, the grace that is ours, if we understood it, then we would experience shalom. The peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so it's what we need. Look at at verses 1 and 2, the beginning, first two verses in 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See what it says? Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And that's the point. That when we understand our true identity, we understand grace and we will experience peace. This morning, 
Are you convinced of your identity in Christ? That's, that is the heart of what we need to be convinced about this morning if we want to experience shalom. So what I'd like us to do is just remind us from the first two verses here and then some examples throughout the letter of what Peter is writing about so that we can experience a fresh and a new way. Shalom. Look at the first one. He says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. To put one word to it, do you know I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 2. And yeah, just to reiterate, I'm reading from the NSB this morning because the NLT, that if you got the Bible that was handed out, um, it doesn't make it clear, this relationship between these verses. For example, at the very end, it talks about where the church, I mean... She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, it doesn't even use the word chosen. So I'm using my text to help bring out the, the clarity. Hopefully it's not making it more confusing. The word I want you to get from this chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father is, get this, you're known. And you've always been known by the God of the universe. That's what I want you to, just get that word in your head. Known, you're known. And you've always been known by the God of the universe. That's almost like, uh, you know, some guy that's newly in love and, and he goes to his friends, she knows me. I mean, she like, she looked at me. She, she knows who I am. And this is God. This is God. He knows you and he's always known you. Look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Again, just a few verses to show how this, this theme is carried throughout the whole book. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. This is something that's been talked about all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout history. Seeking to know... What person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. This is all a part of God's plan. What God had in mind from eternity past and what the prophets talked about and, and what the angels, it says at the end of verse 12, longed to look into that were known and that God had this plan. Look at chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. For he, and it's speaking of Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This plan that we're a part of, we who are chosen, God's people in Christ. This wasn't an afterthought on the part of God. We're known. One more verse. Look at, um, or a couple more verses. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. 
It says, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice, and the words chosen, and precious in the sight of God. It's, it's all a part of God's plan. And then finally look at verses 9 and 10, chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's us who are in Christ. Isn't it amazing? And, and I can identify with those that, that shared this morning about experiencing depression because I can experience it also. Isn't it amazing, though, when I can get in the depths of discouragement and, and depression, it's because I forget who I am. I mean, what is there to be discouraged about to be known by the God of the universe and always known by him? Man, that's an amazing privilege. I mean, how many of us wish that, you know, the president of the United States or some, you know, movie actor or sports star would know us and, you know, hey, Dave, how you doing today? Just thought I'd give you a call. Like, wow. I'm really something, you know, because so-and-so knows me. I mean, isn't that the way our thinking is? I mean, just think if some important person in the world's eyes, with all their influence and fame and fortune, was your buddy. I mean, that would do something for you. And we're known by the God of the universe. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And that means by the setting apart work of the Spirit. So if the first word is known, the second word is drawn. Drawn. You know, the amazing thing about that is not only did God have me planned from eternity past and, and Christ's part in that plan in redeeming me and making me his own, saving me, redeeming me, adopting me, delivering me, known God did everything that was necessary to make me his own. That's what the second part is. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit because I'm like, I'm like the rest of you. I'm, I'm a rebellious, ornery. Well, I know, it's a hard time believing that because most of you think I'm sweet. Okay. At, least, at least my wife. Ornery, <laughs> stubborn, always falling on our faces, failing, stumbling, botching it, people. And so the Bible describes the world as dead in our sins and blind, unable to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so what does God do with these people that he's known? He draws them to himself. I'm drawn. And the amazing beauty of this is that God did everything that was needed to do to draw me to him, to open my, my blind eyes to give life to my dead spirit 
so that I would look and I would see the glory of Jesus and I would say, I believe. And that was God's doing. And that's my identity. Isn't that amazing? I'm drawn. Look at chapter 1, verse 3, Then the next verse. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's his work. If it was left up to me, I would still be dead in my sins. I would still be blind, unable to see, but he caused me to be born again to a living hope. It's his doing. And that's an amazing identity. Third thing. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. I'm known. I've been drawn. And the amazing thing about my identity, and this is what wraps it all up, is that everything that was needed to be done is done. There's nothing left to do. And I've said this before, and I got it from somebody else, but I think it's a great distinction between Christianity and any other attempted path to God, any other religion. I think it's simply described in this way. Any other religion, and I've studied a lot of them, is about what we need to do to be right with God, to have a relationship with Him. But the distinctive thing about Christianity is it's all about what has been done. It's done. On the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. Paid in full. It's done. There's nothing I can do. It's done. And that's my identity. It's done. It's been sprinkled with his blood. He shed his blood. He, he gave his life on the cross so that my shalom is complete in him. He did it. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, he is called, it says, he himself is our peace. It's not that he did something for us to provide us peace, but he himself is our peace because he hung on the cross as the peace offering in order to open up the way and restore the shalom that was shattered back in Genesis chapter 3. And he's the only one that could do it because he's God himself come in the form of man to pay the wages of sin, which was death, and to provide the way for shalom again. Look at chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way, your empty way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that identity? What our God was willing to do, what he has done for our shalom, the blood of Christ. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 24. 224. It says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, that sin's penalty and power over us might be broken and we might live to righteousness. We might live in right relationship with God again. Shalom. This is the true grace of God. That's grace. There's nothing that we had any part in in any of that. There's nothing that we could have had any part in any of that, that were known, that we were drawn, and that it's all been done for us in Jesus. That's grace. It's the true grace of God that leads to peace. So what are we to do? Back to First Peter chapter five, just to finish up here. First Peter chapter five, what does it say? It just says simply, stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Kind of like the, the old hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all over the ground is sinking sand. And realize that any other ground, you know, as good as advice can be, as good as books can be, as good as all other things can be, there's only one solid ground that can lead to true shalom. <coughs> and that's the true grace of God found in Jesus. Understanding our identity, who we are, that we're known. We've always been known by the Father. We've been drawn by the Spirit And we've been delivered. It's been done for us by Christ on the cross. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, He will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed, stood firm on him. It's the most talking I've done in several days. And this is what the persecuted believers that Peter was writing to desperately needed to hear. They needed shalom. And maybe it's what some of us need to hear this morning also, need to be reminded of. So, <clears throat> excuse me. How is your peace? Ma shalom ha. How is your peace? Are you just getting by? Things look good on the outside, but internally, you know how things really are. Well, I think simply what Peter summarizes his letter with is this, that our Shalom will be good. Shalomi tov. Our shalom will be good when our thinking and our feeling is daily rooted in our amazing identity. <coughs> I think we'll pray.
Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you've done it all. All to you we owe. Open our eyes, I pray, to who we are. The amazing grace that you've shown us. In Jesus' name, amen.